0: In the Green Room with Bob O'Brien. Brought to you by SOS Global Express. Today, folks, I'm in the Green Room with Henry McGrogan. Henry has been in the music touring industry for well over 40 years and is a legend in his time, both as a tour manager and artist manager. He's worked with a very enviable list of artists over the years, people as diverse as Leonard Cohen, Iggy Pop, The Stooges, David Bowie, The Coors, Midure, Aztec Camera, the Waterboys Marion Faithful and has won many awards and accolades for his work on tour. He now co owns and runs the Central European Organization with his partner, Anja Margit, which is a bespoke artist management and agency. Henry has seamlessly moved from the world of tour management to looking after all things business for some of his long standing clients, as well as new and emerging artists on the scene. Henry, welcome to the Green Room. It's been a while since we were able to chat like this.
1: Thank you, Bob. And that was great. And uh, good night. You did well for me. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hope I, I hope the intro did you justice. Will you tell me where it all started?
1: It was all done as a bit of a hobby back in the back in the day in Claybank where I lived. I had a whole bunch of friends who we had uh, Lambrettas and Vespas we used to all tear around, and that was when you could drive scooters when you were sixteen. As it turns out, a bunch of those guys had a band um, that they used to play in the pubs every every weekend. So um, they that told me to come along to the next one, which I did do, and then I started being the guy, the roadie, humping the the bike line stuff, and helping them set up, and just you know learning from them how the gear worked and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, just kind of went from there. Other bands and there was a whole Glasgow scene going on. There was. Uh, another band called Capricorn, I think, who were quite successful, doing all the bigger clubs in Glasgow at the weekend. And uh, they contacted me to go and work with them. So I, I went off and I did that. From there, I went on to um, Slick, mid Slick were doing some dates in Ireland. They hired the PA in the van to go and do that tour with them. And I was, I got on great with all of the band. And after that finished, they said, we want you to come and work with us. Slick. Became pretty successful. We did a European tour. I did my first major European tour later that year as well. And that was like driving all through 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 all of Europe in a three-ton Ford D300, I think it was called at the time. And we had the PA, lights and backline and, th- and three crew. So it was me and two other guys. And I did sound, set up some of the backline with a lighting guy, set up some of the backline. I made just a general roadie guy. and we'd Two of us would share the driving, and it was just you know, head down, poof, away
0: you go. You tour managed Hot House Flowers for a while, yeah, that's right. I did, would it would oh, have been about 1988 89, maybe something, yeah, like that. yeah. That's I, right. When I first met you, and then we worked together on um Mike Scott, yes, in indeed. indeed. We went our separate ways after that. Then we went off to do other yeah. stuff, and then now
1: we I, I, I went straight on to do the cars right after that. Was my first, uh, I was actually. With, already working on pre-production at the end of 97 for the cause for an Australian tour in 98. Yeah. I went
0: on to work with uh, Brian May, of Queen.
1: Oh, and- that's right, yeah, yeah, I remember. And
0: I remember we were in Asia, Japan, and Australia with Brian May, and I got a phone call to my room in Tokyo, and it mm-hmm. was, and you had been looking for me to come on tour with The course. My surprise, I picked up the phone in the hotel. I thought it was reception telling me to check out. There was Henry on the other side of the phone. And then I, I rejoined you then, and I went, went to work for The course. And that was a very, I think for both of us, uh, without a doubt, that was a very successful time for, for us. To oh, work. absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. We, we, they were just kind of on the rise and get bigger and bigger. Uh, 98 was like a huge year for them. I mean, that kept us going through until... I think 2004.
0: Tell me about Iggy Pop in the sense of you've worked with Iggy Pop right from the outset in the studios, but you you man, you went on to manage Iggy and you do you do to this current day.
1: I, I worked with him from '79, so it was his third solo record, New Values. It was out in Arista, which is I think now under Sony. Um. So what is it, '79? So. Yeah, before he, 41 years in May, I will have worked with him. But, you know, obviously not consistently. Off and on, mm. uh, he's had breaks and um, doing other stuff when I was not available to help him do it. But, but I still managed to keep keep working with him from a distance and being involved in a lot of the projects that he's done and tours that he's done with not actually being physically being there. So, so that's kept a good relationship going between us. And uh, I guess when it came to the end of the course run, it was actually 2005, in fact, um, his current manager at the time suddenly passed away with a heart attack. Iggy just pondered for a while. There was a lot of people after him at that point, management-wise, to, to, you know, some of the the bigger names in the US management side of things were were, were after him. But he just sat back, and I uh, had to think about the whole thing, and then he spoke to me and said, "Look, I don't really feel like getting involved and starting all over again with somebody who doesn't know me and this and that and the whole management world of the cor- corporate situation. You and I have worked together a long time. Why don't Why don't you and I work together and try and see how it goes? Yeah, no, and it was it was a big learning curve for me as well. I mean, I knew a certain amount, obviously, but you don't know everything, and it's like I still say every day is a learning yeah. process, you know. And even even to this day, and got done turn sixty five the other week there, and it's like I'm I'm still learning, and and I've got loads of things going on, and with this whole coronavirus situation that we're in right now, and having to <clears throat> adapt and change, and and come up with creative ideas of things of how to keep things going outside of the live end of things, which you know. I think, don't think for us will happen until next year. So there's lots of other things you have to just keep thinking about and doing and, and being creative. And you know, sometimes I feel that like, oh, I just walk away from this no, I've had enough, I'm done. If you ever, I know a bad day as we all do, but, and I think, but, but what am I gonna do? I still, I still enjoy it, I still, I still love, the, I'm still passionate, I still love the challenge. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's my life, it's in me, you know, it's it's really within my blood and I just couldn't think of doing anything else. So I'd always have to be attached to doing something at some point, whether it be a small or large scale, it doesn't matter, you know.
0: You've seen over the, the, the 40 years or plus years, you've seen all the changes from mm. plain paper facts, I suppose,
1: or... Well, or on way before that, Bob. <laughs> I'm, <a telex.
0: laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep it relevant for some of the listeners. <laughs> Fax I know a
1: lot of people will not know what a telex is, but uh, yeah, when I first tour managed, which I think was around 1980 or 81, I did my first European tour, I think it was around about eight weeks around Europe. As, as a tour manager so setting up something like you know like doing all the advanced work and everything is just telexes and phone calls basically and, and a notepad that was that was how you did all the advanced stuff <clears throat> and you know like dealing with europe back then uh there was a lot of people who didn't speak english too well i mean still a lot that don't but uh so a lot of communication was was pretty interesting shall we say plus the fact you had all the different currencies as well to deal with arrive at the hotel do your check-in and you would have a big pile of like, paper messages like these are your messages people call looking for you or you'd have a ream of paper which is a big roll of paper with your telex and <laughs> once you did your check-in go to your room go through your messages and then if you a lot of hotels back then when you had to call outside of the country you'd have to go through their operator in the hotel to connect you to Wherever you want to make a long distance call to blah 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 so it was very time consuming and it was a long process if you had to answer anything by telex as well so then you go downstairs to the hotel and sit with the telex operator and then dictate or you can handwrite your message and say can you send the telex with this message on it so there's all that kind of stuff going on and then pockets full of change to go out when you're at gigs to maybe make phone calls and stuff like that to wherever you needed to, to speak to for the, either the next venue or call back to London or whatever. So I ended up, I bought a fax machine and I took a fax machine on the road. I used to carry about this in this, this uh, Toshiba <laughs> bought, the Toshiba fax machine.
0: And it was brilliant. What was the biggest change in trends or what what was the most noticeable change?
1: Hotels, for example, check-in and check-outs are the, used to be the bane of my life. No matter how, how and, I, and this, some of them still are, depending where you're at and the, type of people that are working there but no matter how hard you try and prepare for these things to make it easier for yourself and for them uh, some people don't get it I mean that that has got a bit easier over the years airline airline travel is is it definitely got a lot easier in terms of like you know the whole ticketing thing because there were times back in the day if you didn't have an actual physical ticket no like now you got a reference number and your name and if you, you lost it in any way, it's like, well, I paid for a bit, so it doesn't matter, you know. So so that used to be a, a big hassle. And there were people who would forget tickets. So I'll, I, the whole travel thing has, has become a lot easier. Obviously, tour buses have gotten so much better. They're like, home yeah. away from home.
0: What would be the most outrageous rider?
1: The, the funniest <laughs> one was definitely one that Joss Grain wrote for uh, for Again the Stooges. And um, I'm, I just actually pulled it up here. There was one that I remember but. Seven dwarfs and a Bob Hope in person uh, <laughs> yeah. in backstage. And actually somebody did supply that us once in the whole time that I remember. And uh, it was uh, but people used to get a kick out of that, they just loved it.
0: Henry, tell me what's been your favorite tour, event, show?
1: Actually one memorable one sticks in my mind was the Barland Ballroom in Glasgow. Uh, New Year's Eve. I can't remember what year that was. Maybe that was eighty-nine. Uh The Water Boys. And uh for my sins, I was production manager on that tour, which I never ever wanted to do, but I got coerced <laughs> in, into doing it. And um, but anyway, um Scotty wanted uh he just wanted the pipe band to come on in the stroke of midnight. So uh, that was, it was pretty, you know, being Glaswegian and being there in that night and having, having them come on and, and play, it just kind of let tears to your eyes, hair standing on end and that kind of vibe. So that was, that was pretty memorable um, in the early days for that kind of thing. Going to the White House uh, at Christmas in Washington, Bill Clinton's last term at the Christmas party where we went to the White House and meeting him was uh, quite something.
0: It was memorable because I've I just remembered Chuck Berry. Yeah, yeah. Chuck, Chuck, Berry Chuck
1: Berry was, was so... performed. That's right, and I've and actually my picture. I think I took one of we Anto and him. And I took one myself, and one of Slouch, and somehow managed to lose a Slouch one, he's never forgiven me for it. Because <laughs> um, it, it was taken in my camera. and
0: um, and Slouch had a stand-up argument that night because we were both sort of the backline techs, or roadies, as you call it, and... Um, Chuck came along and he, he there was a guitar and somebody needed to set up the guitar and the amp and Slouch mm-hmm. decided he was the one to do it on the bass. Right. When he was born, he was listening to Chuck Berry and he reckoned I had no idea who Chuck Berry was.
1: South Africa House, when we did Trafalgar Square, um, meeting Nelson Mandela was uh, very special. And then met him again, I think, a couple of years later in uh, Cape Town. Cape Town,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, that, that, that brings a lot of really... Uh, fond memories. I don't know what else. Uh, I did a short stint with Leonard Cohen um, for the Future album. He did a promo tour around Europe and uh, I get called in to look after him. It was him and two backing singers and myself, just four of us. And he was just doing a whole press junket around Europe and TVs with, you know, the girls' is backing. And I... I was always a big fan. I remember back in the days in, in Glasgow at Green's Playhouse or the Apollo, whatever it was back then, I can't remember, I may even be in Green's Playhouse still at the time when Leonard toured. Now this would have been 74 maybe. And uh, I was on the local crew there. And um, he, back after the show, after watching the show, which was amazing, he invited us all back to his hotel for drinks. So we all went back to uh, the the Lawn Hotel in Sucky Hall Street, if I remember rightly. Uh, And we went back to the lounge and we sat till two in the morning just around him and listening to him, telling stories. And that very lovely man, welcoming man. And then there I was, uh, 15 years later or something like that, getting on a plane in London, going to Madrid with him uh, to work with him for the next next four weeks. And we had never met, he was flying in from, from Canada, so he was connecting through. So I was going to meet him at the lounge. At the gate for uh, boarding the flight, so I arrived just as he announced boarding, and he stood up, and I just walked up to him. like went, "Leonard, went, yes, because he I'm Henry McGrogan, your you tour manager." Lovely to meet you. because let's get on board, and we'll get to know each other. So there was a the way the seats were. I was in a different row, and he was someone out some, and he was sitting next to someone, and he said to the gentleman, he "said Would you mind moving and let my friend join me here so we can we can have a chat?" And the guy moved. And we just chatted non-stop. But the time I got off that plane, he made me feel so welcome, warm, like I'd known him for like years. You know, He was just that type of a person. He's been
0: described. The rest
1: rest of the the rest of the time was just just such just so wonderful being in his company, uh, traveling with him, listening to him. uh, How gracious and warm of a man he was, and. He used to just do some amazing things when we used to travel and, you know, he'd sneak off at the duty-free at the airport, buy caviar, then when we get to the hotel at the next night, like, I remember this one I think we arrived in Oslo. He, uh, you know, he said, come up to my suite in like uh, 10 minutes to me and the two girls, like, once you get settled in and stuff. So he ordered up chilled vodka, (laughs) boiled eggs, crackers, the whole thing. He put the caviar on ice and he just served this and it. was yeah. just like, wow, you know. He it was, it was that type of a guy. And uh, once we finished in Europe, I got a call to go over to America and we did Letterman and a couple of other TV things I did with him as well. Um, got asked to go on the tour, but that was the one I was going on my hot house flowers well, and I couldn't do it.
0: What's the most annoying habit you've noticed on tour or about anybody on tour?
1: Been asked too damn many questions when they can be answered easily in the way um, But the fact is that they don't ask just one person. They ask about four people. And people being late, using WhatsApps for group information. Uh, our current tour manager Eric, Bage, he's he does. He's got two 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 group setups. One for timings and one for just general contact information. And and they work a treat in terms yep. of people reading them, paying attention to them, and actually things running on time, you know.
0: Henry, uh, your, who would your unsung heroes on tour be?
1: Drivers and catering.
0: Catering, yeah.
1: Uh, you know, those are the guys, Well, I mean, the catering, the hours that they put in and what they do are, are from very early in the morning till, you know, the show is kind of halfway through before they start getting a chance to break down everything. It's a long day for them and what they, what they provide and the atmosphere they create is really important uh, and crucial to, the, to just the whole touring vibe and the drivers, of course, for, for what they do in terms of the hours that they put in, getting things from A to B and, and what they do in terms of planning and, and really thoroughly doing a fantastic job.
0: So if you were to, if you had to go buy a ticket in the morning for any concert, who would you seek out, past or present?
1: Someone I'd love to have seen, and probably had a very slim chance back in the day if I'd really tried. Jimi Hendrix. Or if I could go and buy a ticket to and see him tomorrow, I'd do that.
0: Henry, how do you see us coming out of this current crisis?
1: God, I've had a crystal ball. Um, I have no clue, actually. I don't think anyone does. I think this year is written off... Pretty much in the live sector. Um, I mean, not totally. I mean, shows will slowly get back, back up and running. But for all of those tours that were booked, <clears throat> all the summer festivals are pretty much gone. And I'm myself, I'm just pretty much trying to reschedule a, a duplicate schedule for next year. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a long, slow road, I think. Uh, those who have tickets for rescheduled shows that are going to happen. Great. Whether they'll all turn up when those shows happen, I don't know, because I think there'll be a lot of fear with people still getting into big crowds or crowds in general. I was in New York for two weeks in the end of February, March, when the whole thing was going on. And and I came back here to Warsaw. Then I went to New York, I think, in the 20... I don't know what it was. I can't remember. Anyway, um, but I left there on March the 8th, uh, right to March the 9th. And then the next day, I think it was, or the day after, that's when they, they he was closing down all the travel. And then that Friday went into lockdown here in Poland as well. So I was very lucky to get home when I did and miss all of that. Yeah, it's, it's a strange time where I never, never, well, none of us have ever experienced this. So we don't know. And as I, I've said from day one, it's, it's a day at a time.
0: Henry McGrogan, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we could talk for so long, and I feel we didn't even touch half of what I was going to talk to you about. Maybe we might do it again. Thank you, sir. Bye bye. In the green room, sponsored by SOS Global Express, proudly supporting the frontline efforts throughout the COVID-19 pandemic.